Welcome to the Digging Deep ATVNX Podcast with your host, hailing from Kakana, Wisconsin, riding a CST tires, SSI decals, traveling back Yamaha YFC 450R, four-time ATV motocross national champion, number 25. Cody Jensen. What's up, everybody? We're back. Welcome to the latest edition of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, episode 129 of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, presented by our title sponsor, CST Tires, in stock and available for purchase today at shop.csttires.com. I'm your host, Cody Jansen, saying hello to our nearly 246,000 monthly Digging Deep listeners in all 106 countries in which you are listening, and you're in for a treat with tonight's episode. It's been a minute since our last show. I got a new job back in September, so that's been a little bit of an adjustment. So for episodes like this, I'm up at 2 a.m. just to get a quick workout in, and then editing before work, out in my truck, editing audio on my lunch break. But I can promise you that we're not going to skip a beat here at Digging Deep. We have a jam-packed next six weeks planned leading up to Daytona, starting with tonight's episode featuring Wrath Racing's Daryl Wrath. You're going to love this one as Daryl talks about a shared passion for racing between father and son, a shared passion that he's now living with his very own son. And Daryl's story is very unique in that Wrath Racing is the result of his passion for both racing and and machining and design. You're going to really enjoy this one as our conversation spans from three wheelers to present day with so many cool topics in between. But before we dig too deep, you know the drill. Let's quickly shout out all of our incredible partners. CST Tires, go to shop.csttires.com today. Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew, thanks to SSI Decals, Valvoline, DID Racing Chain, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV Components, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply, the financial advice of the Haymauer Financial Group, DP Brakes, Factory 43, Binky's Forever ATC Museum, Impact Solutions, Ultimate Poly Products, UPP Racing, our choice when it comes to case savers, chain sliders, intake manifolds, and more, and Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. Start the new year off right by going to manscaped.com and using code DIGGINGDEEP20 for 20% off plus free shipping. Whether it's the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, the Goat of Electric Razor Trimmers, my favorite, the Beard Hedger Pro Kit from Manscaped, or the best nose hair trimmer ever created, the Weed Whacker 2.0 from Manscaped, Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. So rad that Manscaped continues to invest in ATV Racing as a longtime partner of Digging Deep. Help us keep them in the fold and involved in ATV Racing by using our Digging Deep 20 code so they know you enjoy Digging Deep and what we're all about here. Support all the great companies that support us, and for any products that fall through the cracks, click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner on our website to help us out. Preparations for the 2024 season obviously are in full swing at this point, and no matter what off-road gear parts you need, Rocky Mountain ATVMC has you covered. But before you buy, simply click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner on our website. By using our specific link, we get a percentage of what you buy on the back end, enabling you to help us out while purchasing the parts you need anyway. And did you know you can buy OEM parts from Rocky Mountain ATVMC as well? Yep, ship conveniently right to your door. So click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner at diggingdeepatvmx.com to help us out while satisfying all your gear and parts needs. 
Shout out to all of our donors. No new ones to shout out, I don't think. But if you are interested in donating and hearing your name on the show, you can find the Patreon or Buy Me a Coffee donation links on our website. Major thanks to all who have donated. Now, if you can't donate but you still want to help us out, you can leave us a rating or a review on iTunes and Spotify. That helps us out a bunch too. Now, it's showtime. The 30-second board is up, it's sideways, and the gate is down. Time to dig deep. Let's go! Alright guys, we're back here for another exciting episode of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, and I'm super pumped to talk to tonight's guest. Brought to you by the Haymauer Financial Group. Do you have the right financial advisor to help you reach your goals? Call our friend Scott Haymauer today at 920-338-8150. And with that, it is my pleasure to be joined by longtime ATV racing and industry figurehead from Rath Racing, Mr. Daryl Rath himself. Daryl, so great to have you here to join me here on the podcast, pal. Welcome to Digging Deep. I appreciate you being here. That's great to be on. I'm excited to see what we come up with tonight. (laughs) <laughs> like I just said, before we hit record on this thing, Daryl, we got so much stuff. You've done so much in, in your industry and in, in your racing career here. We have so much to cover. And like I said to you, I, I have a list of guests that I hope to get on the show here. And you've been near the top of that list for a long time, not to mention all the people that have suggested and begged for, for your presence here on the show. So again, buddy, I, I can't thank you enough for being here. And uh, like I said, so much to uh, to get into here tonight. But for so many of the guests that we have here on the show, the story starts with, you know, when and where you first got kind of bitten by the bug of, of riding and, and racing. Um, so where did that start for you, Daryl? Kind of tell me where that story starts for you. Uh, we're going to have to go way back. Um, I'm going to date myself, but, you know, it's, I can remember this really, really clear. You know, my dad, I grew up around motorsports, grew up on a farm. And, you know, my dad pulled tractors. So he pulled a modified tractor with a blown Hemi in it. So I grew up around, you know, tractor that made, you know, the big blower lope and stuff like that, that we all like to listen to and stuff like that. And uh, grew up going to county fairs and all that. And I mean, my sister and I, that's what we did on the weekends with my dad and uh, my mom. And uh, dad wanted to get out of it in 1976. And I didn't want anything to do with that because I just loved what he did you know he he was my hero you know Mm -hmm. he did a lot of winning very very competitive guy and obviously i was too young and dumb to see all the responsibility that came with that but uh we were at our at our at a pole somewhere and there were some guys riding the old us 90s in this gravel pit near the track and i sat and watched those guys for hours and it's like man i wanted one of those thrillers and uh Dad was smart enough that he actually used that on me. And so in 1976, dad retired from doing that stuff, the big tractor, sold the tractor and bought me a trike, a 90, 90, you know, Honda 90. So that's how it started. That's how it started. And so that does explain some of the, you know, obviously like on social media and in your personal social media and stuff in recent years, I've seen the tractor stuff and, and some of those builds that you do in that realm too. And that kind of explains why that's very much part of, you know, your, your core and your heart, right? Like that's a, probably something that'll be special to you till the day you die. Like you said, for so many of us, like our dads, you know, those are our first heroes. We grow up and you just want to be just like dad, dad's your hero. And it's kind of cool to hear that special connection that you have to the tractor pulling and all that stuff. That's very much a part of your makeup, obviously. 
you know, I got, I was really fortunate and, you know, dad, dad took probably a year off and I begged and begged him because there's like a bicentennial, like our, my hometown. I just, I can I used to go to a really small town. It's like, I mean, honestly, less than a thousand people and they had a bicentennial coming up. And one of the things that going on was a garden tractor pull. And I begged dad that we'd go and, you know, obviously dad didn't want to be around any pulling because what he was doing and he sure as hell didn't want to go pull a garden tractor. after. <laughs> right. So anyways, he, took me and you know we practiced out in the field the farm you know we had like a field road that we practiced with an old stone bolt and and we did that and you know that that got me into that competitive side it's like you know what this is what I something i really want to do and mm-hmm. you know that all with dad and we did that for we did the stuff you know the one that we actually used the mow grass i had to convert it that was my job during the week you know i had to mow the lawn and then i had to walk pressure wash it take the mower deck off and change tires to, you know, weight brackets and do all this stuff so the mechanical side of that, you know, came out of me and that's dad said, if you want to do this, you're going to have to put the work in and you, you had to get it ready on, you know, for Saturday or Sunday, whatever it was, that was my responsibility. He says, I'll take you and I'll support you, but you're not going to get this, this gold and do nothing. So that was, that's how that got started. And that evolved into building, you know, the, the, the modified minis and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. What a, what a story from cutting the lawn to converting the, the you know the lawn tractor week after week that's kind of funny um so then you get the three-wheeler and tell me like how i'm sure do you take right to it and then how soon after getting this thing do you find yourself starting to compete or race i mean tell me how that how that happens fill the gap there for me i just like i said 76 was the first year i had one dad actually bought me a new one probably every year like we're after fall harvest He'd buy me another one, you know, and, you know, that's when Honda was coming out with the 110s and then they came out with the 125s and the 200s mm-hmm. and so on. But yeah. I would have believed the very first year I actually raced the trike was, it, you know, it wasn't a side-by-side race, but, you know, like you line up on a line, but they had like a, uh, my dad actually helped run it. Is that a uh, sporting like club place? They do like a weekend festival and they set up lats, wood lats in the, you know, like in this big uh, mode field. And the let's just say that back then the three wheelers were 40 inches wide. Well, the, the gates, let's just call them, were only like 44 or 45 inches wide. And you had to go through every one of those on a timed event. Okay. There I had, I had one of my 110s and I had a 200 and I won both classes that day. And then I jumped up into like the open class and got like second fastest time. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's something I just, cause I actually practiced at home, you know, I, I set up wood lats and just mm-hmm. on my dad's lawn and rode it home and, and, uh, it, it was hooked, man. I just, that was it. And, you know, from there, I think the, you know, I was riding those, you know, those machines and dad, you know, in 83, I think Honda came out with the 200 X. I really, really wanted one of those. I mean, that was, you know, full suspension. And it's like, man, I didn't even have suspension. I was like hard tail and this and that though, the balloon tires. And it's like, uh, that if you if you if you want that 200x you know you can trade in what you have but you're gonna eat you're gonna have to earn the rest and so i've walked a lot of beans and picked a lot of rocks around at the farm and uh i, I bought my very first 200x in 19 it was a 1984 so fall of 83 okay so so and what is the like so you're doing that kind of racing back home now you get this 200x that's the that's the machine to have at that time like what was 
I mean, was there regional racing going on of these things? Like at what age do you start to realize like there's some, some racing going on out there, some bigger racing going on? Like at what time does that get on your radar? That's a great question, Cody. And, and here's what happened is, you know, I had some guys that were probably four or five years older than me that were nice enough to take me racing. Um, probably because they knew my dad from his, you know, motorsports world and stuff like that. And uh, sure. they were nice to take me. And we'd go to these like fair, like county fairs and they would, they would mud the track down and you know, they'd make us wallow through that crap. And it's like, I didn't like that. You know, cause I, I like my stuff looking nice. And it's like, I didn't want to destroy my bike, you know, and right. Um, did a few of those and then i got an opportunity to go to a a race uh i believe it was like a weeknight down at the anoka county fair it was like a wednesday or thursday night and they called it back then it was called the three-wheeler connection the series that ran that okay and i'll never forget we showed up at that place and i'd never seen so many trikes in my life cody i i seriously it was like you know obviously i read thriller magazine and stuff back then and, and you had your mickey dunlaps and the factory hondas and all you had all that cool stuff and you had the power all bikes and stuff right i mean wide axles and short course tanks and all the stuff i read about in the magazines was there and there was guys you know some really fast dudes there so that's that was my eye opener i realized hey this is what i want to do and I'm somehow I got to figure out how to convince my dad to take me to run because they, they gave me a schedule and there was more yet that fall. And I was bound to determine I want to be more of that. Okay. So, so then, cause obviously I'm different era, right. But, but like I'm from Wisconsin, you being Minnesota, like I'm assuming that not a ton of this series is like super close to there or how, how far is this series traveling? I guess, like how much are you asking of dad at this point? That series mainly ran, you know, like that Forest Lake area, Noka County area, and then it bounced over into Baldwin, Wisconsin, which is right across the border. So yeah, roughly yep. 100 miles from, you know, from Hutchinson, where I live here. And, uh, you know, I, that race I went down there at night and there was 20 because they had a stock pro stock and then they had the mods. Um, and I raced stock class, so we couldn't change nothing. And there was 28 of us that night and they ran all 28 of us in the main event. They wow. had or five restarts and i whole shot at every one of them and ended up winning that night and it's like i couldn't even believe it it's like man okay there's some that's a lot of hardware you know i mean i'll never forget how many times i went to that line it's like i my dad wasn't there i was just with these guys and they were busy doing their own thing and it's like mm -hmm. i was overwhelmed and trying to manage all that stuff i mean i was 15 years old i, I was young really you know farm kid you know mm -hmm. naive didn't know anything about it, but read all about it. And, uh, yeah. God, I was, so dad took me yet that fall. We ran a couple more and, uh, the next year then we, we ran most of them, I think in that series with that 200 X. So it was, uh, pretty, you know, relatively a series that didn't span like crazy, crazy wide, but what a blessing for you where you're at to have a series with you know, so many riders. And I mean, basically like exactly what you were dreaming of at the time to kind of be, you know, not that far away from where you guys were based at, like what a blessing that was. Cause honestly, without that, right. Like I think about kids nowadays, you know, you could be, have the passion that you have, or I, the passion that I grew up having, but if you're in a place that doesn't have any kind of series to race, like I, I don't, you might be out of luck, you know? So, so that, that part is kind of probably a big staple in the way that your whole life progresses after that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I got, you know, I got lucky, like you said, you know, that, that some of those races were only a half hour away and, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, a little about an hour and a half, sometimes two, depending on traffic. But so I did, like I said, I did that for a whole year and I did pretty well. I was racing that stock class and then I, I talked dad into letting me race the pro stock class, which is basically put different tires in the back, like a, you know, a short course tire. Okay. And that, and you still couldn't do anything from there. Um, so I, I dabbled in that pro stock class and then I, I, I really wanted to build that 200 X I wanted a powwow or a, something Curtis Sparks or something trick, you know, yeah. wide axe forks lowered and all that. I wanted all that stuff. And, you know, so dad wanted me to put together kind of a price of what it would take to do all that stuff. So I, I did all that stuff. I called these guys and they probably thought it was this dumb kid wasting our time. <laughs> uh, so I, you know, I came up with this, this number and dad said, God, that's a lot of money, you know? And uh, this, then that's when tiger was around, you know, and tigers were built, from me they're only built probably an hour from me okay and that's why don't we why don't we go look at those you know have you you know those things are pretty fast and so i'm going to look at them and we ended up um dad set up a dealership we had to buy two of them and we had got a guy one of our local guys that i raced with that actually used to haul me to the races that hauled me and stuff and uh he bought one of them i bought the other one and i sold my 200x and i bought a tagger so i was a uh, 19 would have been the fall of 84 I bought that tiger and so 85 86 I raced that tiger. Wow, so then you're then you're you're I'm assuming that kind of jump starts your career because now you're even more invested, dad's more invested with this dealership thing and all this like that stuff and then you know at that point now you're getting into almost ATV era, right? You know, that's the dawn of kind of the ATV heyday. Maybe not necessarily for you right then and there, but that's when ATV stuff is on the rise. So, I guess that would be my next question is when do you start dabbling in the four-wheel stuff? Well, so that's what happened is, you know, I we're from a small town here. Hutch is only like 10,000. And uh, mm -hmm. one of the guys that had a Suzuki dealership, when they first got the quad racer, I remember it was late, like November, early December. And, you know, it was, he said, hey, he says, I just got one of those quad racers. You should come and ride it. He says, I know you'd love it. So I stopped after work. I, I mean, I used to work at a grocery store. And I stopped after work and, and he brought my helmet and he says, go out and ride it. And uh, he... Uh, I rode a thing. It's like, ah, this thing's really, really different. You know, it's, that's a different animal. And, you know, it's oh, like, yeah. I wasn't too keen on a Suzuki. I was kind of a Honda guy. <laughs> if I, I wasn't riding my Tiger, but you know, needless to say, I rode one and it's like, that's cool. And the opportunity came up the following year. I've been in the, sometime in the 86 season is there was a guy by the name of his nickname was Gabby. I think his real name was Steve Lindine, maybe. Um, he always got, he was super friendly and, you know, visited my dad a lot at the track and he was there just to have fun. I think always, you know, and I think he had some money and he, he bought a lot of cool stuff for his bike and he just, he wasn't a fast guy, but he, uh, I think he actually probably rode vet class to be honest with you. And he, uh, he said, you know what? He says, you should ride my bike. And, uh, I think it was down like in Albert Lee, Minnesota. There used to be a track called Rognes Raceway. And, uh, he says, let's ride it. And so I saw, I don't even remember what class I signed up for. I rode, it was a, 86 250 r and uh i rode that thing and it's like man this thing's bitching you know <laughs> he had box in a pipe and axles and wheels and nerf bars and all you know pretty trick you know for what it was back in the 86s you know i mean right there was no swing arms or anything like that but there was that was about as trick as it got you know what i mean back then and yeah. i rode that okay now this is now this is my next step and uh luckily we got along really good with the honda dealer in town and I uh, 
sold the tagger and uh i bought an 86 um 250r for the next season actually I built, we built it for ice racing and uh a guy by the name of mike ellsbury helped me with getting you know the engine work and stuff that used to be a big and he used to do a lot with roger berman when roger rode for factory honda and stuff so okay mike made some really good really good stuff and uh you know he did i had a 250r also when i had that tiger and uh so i kind of the tiger did one of those things you know they were they're cool looking and everything but they're uh they're a long ways from a honda with the fit and finish and stuff sure and, you know, brake issues and they had there's a lot of little issues in them things but uh you know i honestly was more comfortable on my old 250r that i had than i was in the tiger um knowing what i know now if i could have just took the stupid twist out away and threw it in the garbage and put a thumb throttle on it and box <laughs> the wayne at pep and had him you know redo the forks and stuff like that i would have had a, a bad bike you know what i mean mm-hmm. but young and dumb didn't know anything and that's i bought it and that's what it was you know and well and so. then and i often think about when you think back to that era especially like so you talk about years earlier you know putting this putting the spreadsheet together for dad, right. And trying to figure out what it's going to cost to build up your, your three wheeler and I, kids nowadays don't know. And I, I wouldn't even know like how hard it, it is when you got to pick, you're a 15 year old kid or whatever. And you got to pick up the phone and call these places that you're reading about in the magazines and, and, uh, and figure out, you know, what it's going to cost to build up this machine. And like you said, they're probably snickering at you. Like, man, this is, this is wasted time or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, like nowadays, you know, everybody's so in the know on, on the internet and social media and whatever, you can see everything that everybody uses and all these things. But, uh, back then that's not how it was, you know, and and you were probably, you were the outlier. You were the 1% that was also probably very like interested in the technical part of it. And that's not how everybody's brain is wired either. Now, I, I, you know, I grew up around that mechanical side from dad doing the tractor pulling and and working on a farm. So I, I was blessed had that background and, uh, um, but I tell you, I mean that, you know, that I remember taking that 86 brand new three at four and pushing it in my shop. I had a little heated shop and, uh, you know, we took the swing arm off and Mike Ellsbury told us we had to cut that swing arm. We had to take like, I don't remember if it was like an inch out of it or something like that, or an inch and a quarter out of it, you know, right away. Cause it make it handle better. And we ice raced that thing that winter. And then we ran dirt all that next summer with it. You know, I think then it actually changed from the three connection to the quad connection because, of the evolution of the quads and then the thrillers actually got outlawed, I believe in 87. So that was the end of the thrillers. So, so that, you know, that, that summer or the, the summer of 87, that would have been all there was was quads mm-hmm. for us. Yeah. That era just changed so quickly, right. Of the three wheeler thing, just got the plug pulled out and uh, now it was on to the ATV thing. So you talk about, you know, you're into the mechanical side of it. You have this heated shop. I think you're still at this point, you're still a teenager, right? I mean, you got to be about, I was still in high school or a senior. And I, I, okay. well, eight, like, I take that back 87 would have been the first year out of high school. So I was going to tech school for a machinist and that's when I started building some of my own stuff for that, that four okay. because I can afford it. Got it. So that's exactly where I was going with this is so you're into the tech side of things. You, you know, you have the shop you're working in, like you're now in the tech school. Now I know that part of it. And I was just trying to put the connections together on when, 
wrath racing starts to become a thing. Cause at the beginning, like I know how these things work. They, they start authentically. You don't just, you know, roll out and put a sign on the front of the door that says wrath racing. You already said that you, you, you like your stuff being nice and you're particular about it. And now you're, I'm sure you're building some of your own parts or machining some of your own stuff or whatever. And then people look at Daryl's quad and say, Hey, that thing's awesome. You know, like, Hey, can I get one, one of X part or Y part or whatever it is. So you can kind of fill me in, but I know generally that's how these stories go. You hit right ahead, Cody. I mean, I, like I said, I went to school to be a machinist, the two-year program and my teacher, um, the second year teacher was actually road race bikes. So he was a racer and him and I hit it off really, really well. And he was super, super flexible about letting me work after hours, um, you know, because my classroom time was like, say, from seven to one. Well, the the, cl- the school was still open until five, but that was supposed to be only for second year students. Well, he'd let me run the machines as long as someone else didn't need to use them. And I, I mean, I'd have my quad in there and everything and I'd be building foot pigs or actually that's how some of the, like my first sway bar and stuff got built was at tech school. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the evolution of the only reason I did that stuff because I couldn't afford to buy the stuff because I was going to school and working part-time and um, just had a, because honestly, like, you know, back then there was, you know, sway bars were just a piece of chromoly tube with two chromoly ends welded on it and another chromoly tube. It was super, super crude, yeah. you know, <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. That's just, I just kind of evolved doing that. And uh, so, I mean, I, you know, I graduated early and it would have been this, like probably early like maybe january february of 88 and then i bought my first 88 250r that's you know they made that big change they went to the aluminum swing arm and i mean that was that was like a kind of a turning point you know that was the the icon i mean we raced them for a long damn time Mm -hmm. so they were that was a that was a turning point so yeah 88 89 and then i would assume as that uh, that machine comes out and now you're even finding your footing more with the development of stuff. And I'm assuming that that's really the start of some of, you know, you kind of kind of being the architect of some of the stuff that, that started really putting wrath racing on the map question mark. I mean, kind of, kind of, you can kind of fill me in on that. I was, you know, I was fortunate enough. I, I met some people, you know, through the races, being at the races a lot. Um, some people that were fairly close to me that their family owned a business made that made polydome and like the calf huts that you see around the world. Oh yeah. 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 They owned that. And they, they, you know, they had money to spend and stuff like that. And they, they took me racing. I mean, they honestly took me everywhere, like whether it was dirt or ice or whatever, I went with those guys, they had a big trailer and all that stuff. And they just took me with, because honestly I could help them. Then they had a track built and all this stuff. And, uh, Okay. Yeah. Tires and whatnot, wherever I could. And we had a good working relationship. Well, they took me to San Antonio, Texas. So it was like March. I mean, I was, I think I was still maybe in tech school when they did that to me. Um, so loaded the bikes in the trailer and they hired a guy to drive the bikes down that was laid off. Um, and we flew in their, in their dad's twin engine airplane, flew down to San Antonio, Texas. I'll oh, never wow. forget. We landed at this little airport, you know. And hopped in the, the truck and trailer and went to the track and it's like, and I and that's when I you know got exposed to like a first big national event. It's like holy cow, you know John Nearly and and you know Gary Dentons and you know all these Donnie Banks, all these guys are there. It's like, you know this this is it. You know this is this is now this is the next step for me. <laughs> right. 
We'll get right back to the show, but now a word from our sponsors. And thank you for listening to these ads. Without these great companies, none of this would be possible. Show your support for the people who support us. The official tire choice of Digging Deep, CST tires are the choice of ATV Racing's elite on the track, in the woods, and every other terrain. CST tires swept the ATV Racing world in 2022 as Joel Hetrick, Bryson Neal, and Bo Barron rode their Pulse MXR and Pulse HT tires to an ATV Pro Motocross title, GNCC XC1 Pro title, and 10th ATV Pro Works Racing title, respectfully. Led by champion Joel Hetrick and podium contenders Bryce Ford, Jeffrey Rastrelli, and Nick Janusa, CST's Pulse MXR tire is the most trusted tire in ATV motocross today. Available in soft and standard compounds, the Pulse MXR offers the highest level of traction, most predictable cornering, and superior wear characteristics when compared to the competition. And did I mention they have a contingency program as well? Visit shop.csttires.com to join the CST takeover today, or prepare to be beat by someone who did. The best of the best choose CST. Do you? You know we're Team Blue Crew here at the Digging Deep ATV MX podcast, as the Yamaha YFZ450R is the official ATV of Digging Deep. In a move started by eight-time ATV MX Pro Class National Champion Chad Weenan, who with his next championship will become the winningest champion in ATV motocross history, we are living in ATV Racing's YFZ450R era. Alongside Weenan, seven-time GNCC XC1 Pro ATV National Champion Walker Fowler welcomed a pair of new champions to the Yamaha Champions Club as the podium-proven Yamaha YFZ450R proved to be the winning choice for Joel Hetrick and Bryson Neal. This unprecedented success for the YFZ450R, its unrivaled quality and performance, and the clear fact that Yamaha is the leading OEM supporter of ATV racing has resulted in a complete Yamaha takeover within the sport quad market. Evident by the continuation of Yamaha's Blue Crew Racer Support Program, Yamaha riders will once again cash in on payout and prize opportunities in 2023, including a chance to win a brand new YFZ450R. For more info, head over to YamahaBlueCrew.com. Follow Yamaha Outdoors as well as the new Blue Crew official channel on social media and check out Yamaha's full proven off-road lineup at YamahaOutdoors.com today. SSI decals, your decals, your way. SSI decals sets the standard with the best looking decals, graphics kits, and vinyl wraps in the industry. Established in 1947, SSI took shape as an offshoot of their parent company by doing a little work for local pro Chad Weenan. Nearly two decades later and fueled by a passion for ATVs, the company has flourished into one of ATV Moto's most recognized brands. From ATV Motocross, SSI has expanded into graphics and design work for top racers in GNCC, works racing, pro motocross and supercross, off-road, and more, headlined by eight-time world champion top fuel drag racer Clay Milliken. Whether your project is big or small, SSI decals will make your identity stick. Get started today at SSIDecals.com and use code DIGGINGDEEP10 for 10% off at checkout. Things are about to get sick. The Digging Deep ATBMX podcast is brought to you in part by DID and their wide range of championship winning chains. From the street to the track and everywhere in between, DID chains are designed to give you the optimal riding experience with great performance and increased chain life. Consistent to the core, pick up your box of reliability today. DID, what drives you? We are proud to be partnered with Namira Technologies. For over 20 years, Namira has pushed the limit of value and reliability in the ATV and side-by-side market. Covering more applications than anyone in the industry, Namira's full line of cast and forged pistons, connecting rods, gasket kits, and industry-leading top-end repair kits and more have led to higher overall engine performance for your machine. Visit your local dealer or online at www. 
www.namira, N-A-M-U-R-A, dot com. And follow along on Instagram for giveaways and exciting new products in 2023. Namira Technologies, your one-stop shop engine component supplier. We are pleased to be partnered with Bronco ATV and UTV Components. Bronco has been an industry leader in replacement hard parts and accessories for all makes and models for over 15 years. With a catalog that includes a full line of electrical components, engine internals and cylinders, shock and suspension parts, winches, clutch kits, valves, carb kits, bearing kits, and drive chain parts, Bronco is your hard parts source for whatever you need for whatever you ride. Available exclusively through distributors around the world, visit your local dealer or online at broncoatv.com. For over 150 years, Valvoline has been dedicated to constant improvement and innovation across all disciplines of racing. As a proud member of Team Valvoline for nearly a decade, I have witnessed their unwavering commitment to pushing the boundaries of performance. Valvoline has sponsored some of the greatest names in motorsports, solidifying their position as a powerhouse within the industry. Being a part of this historically great team has been an incredible privilege. When it comes to my equipment, whether it's my daily commuting vehicles, race quads, or anything in between, I trust nothing but Valvoline. Their range of products and lubricants consistently deliver increased horsepower, durability, and engine life. I'm excited to announce Valvoline's breakthrough in performance, Valvoline Ultimate Power Sports. With up to eight times stronger rust protection and 50% better wear protection, this cutting edge formula ensures your ATV's engine runs smoother and longer for the ultimate ride. Tackle rugged terrains with confidence knowing your ATV's engine is equipped with the best protection available. Ready to experience the next level of performance? Head over to shop.valvolineglobal.com and use code DIGGINGDEEP10 at checkout to unlock an exclusive 10% off on your purchase. Don't miss out on this limited time offer to enhance your ATV's performance with Valvoline's ultimate power sports engine oil. This is now, this is the next step for me. <laughs> right. Bro you know, the shortened swing arms and the, you know, the, the, there was a arms and the, the shocks, you know, the old white power shocks and all that stuff, you know, work shocks, all that stuff was there. And it's like, wow, you know, this, this is, you know, the technical side of me just went crazy. I mean, those bikes are like, so trick, like to me, like that was seeing those bikes was like walking through a supercross pits now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that was kind of the next step is I got into that. And, um, so uh, after tech school, I, you know, I, I got a full-time job as a, as a machinist and uh, I had also took a part-time job working for a guy and that guy was really, it taught me a lot about being a fabricator, a machinist, you know, I don't know, developer, whatever you want to call it. I'm not an engineer. I'm never going to use that term. Um, <laughs> okay. he, just made, he just made me think outside the box. Okay. And he, he worked full-time for 3M and he was, he was, uh, very very smart and very willing to teach me so i think if you've seen here recently i did a little video on that that 500 i built in the 250r and that's that's kind of how this is evolving i think you're trying to allude to me how did how did wrath get started so what happened is i wanted a 500 suzuki i seen boyd kelbert i raced against boyd kelbert out in sparta wisconsin which was in you know south it's just across the border from southern minnesota and i, and I remember racing against boyd and it's like I knew Boyd ran the Nationals. I read about him. I mean, I read about him in the magazines. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to beat that guy so bad that day, but, you know, Boyd ended up beating me. And But honestly, I wasn't that far off the pace that day. It's like, okay, you know, if I had a little bit more, more a little more jam, you know, I could maybe do that, you know. And uh, so I found, a, you know, an LTR 500, and I made made the commitment that I was going to build this thing and, and chuck the guy I worked for part-time at night at his shop. It, he let me work on the weekends and evenings and uh, 
you know, I, I really got my butt kicked because I was just so damn picky. I mean, if I would have built it like everybody else and it would have been fine. But I, I mean, that, that intake alone, I think I touched on that in that video is like that intake. I guarantee I had 25 to 30 hours of just whittling, you know, you know, drilling, drilling as much as I can. And then, you know, machining with end mills and, you know, and, and a, we didn't have CNC mills in yet. We had a two axis mill that you could program your X and Y movements and that's it. So, I mean, it was very, very time consuming and, but it's, it's what I wanted. And then luckily, you know, Bill's, you know, Bill Shiva from Bill's pipes was nice enough. I got to be, know him from the nationals from Donnie and stuff. And uh, mm -hmm. he was up to build me a pipe. Cause I mean, I wanted a pipe to run on the right-hand side of that chassis. And he said, oh, he says, you have to get your bike to me. I was like, well, I can't afford to get my bike to you. You know? So I, I built that jig and bolted it in. All he had to do is bolt it into one of Donnie's chassis there and, sent that pipe to me and serious i bolted that pipe on within five minutes it was done and that was the most badass thing i think i ever come up with in my life was like hey that 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 worked you know and yeah. uh, that that bike you know i went that's when i hooked up with greg baker um uh, from sioux falls south dakota you know I, I raced with greg around here a lot our paths crossed i mean and, and if you could run with greg you can run with anybody mm -hmm. and Greg wanted to go race some nationals because I'd run. He, I know he went to Tulsa, you know, the Tulsa shootout and stuff and all these events. And Greg says, let's just go to the nationals. We can save money. You know, we're about the same age. And um, he says, let's just go. And we committed and we ran all the TT nationals together. And, uh, you know, Greg dominated the 250 pro class. And I focused on the open class and ended up, uh, you know, fifth that year. I ran some of the motocrosses. Greg didn't run any of them and ended up 15 points my very first year with that build. Um, so I went back and uh, worked harder. And I mean, I, I remember my, I remember talking to Doug Gus. It's like, how, how do you hang on? You know, how, how do you do it? You know, and he's like, Daryl says, you got to ride, you got to ride, you got to ride, got to ride. And, yep. you know, and I, I, I started putting in the work at home, but the biggest problem I ran is I didn't have a practice bike. So I, you know, if I wanted to ride, I had to ride a race bike, which is obviously you, anybody listening to this podcast can just cringes when you have to go out and pound <laughs> your, your your race bike. Um, right. It was one of those things. I did the best I could, and uh, it was a balance. You know, I remember doing a lot, a lot of laps on a mountain bike on my track because that was the next best thing. That's all you could uh, do. Yeah. So anyway, ninety three, I, I ninety two, I ended up number five in the nation, and ninety uh, ninety three, I came back and won the championship. Wow, that was a that was a pretty pivotal moment for me because I'll never forget. If anybody knows Wayne from Pep, um, he just told me that day at Loretta Lens. I mean, I being crystal clear, you know, Gary Denton won. So I was running an LRD motor for Arlen at that time, and, yep. and uh, Gary was the you know he was the man to beat in the pro class, and I was I got the open class, and I mean they did the the ads in the magazines with Gary and I. I mean it just it was just. I reached the level where I wanted to be. I want, I want to be somebody, I guess, maybe, you know I mean? I want to be yeah. like the guy, you know, and, uh, yeah, it was cool. And that, that spring is when three and four action called. They want to do a story on my bike. Um, and you know, I, there's some things I built and it's like, I remember they, I, I think it was Bill Lampier that was doing the interview with me on the phone. And he says, uh, he says, uh, what do you, what do you call your, your parts what's your business name and it's like 
<laughs> I remember I was, I was the interview was happening at the shop. I worked part time at night, and uh, I I was just, I stuttered a little bit. It's like, well, I said, how about Wrath Racing? Let's just call it that. <laughs> that. I mean, it, it's pretty lame, but that's that's really where, that's where it came from. That's awesome. How cool is that? So I've always thought a lot of pride as a racer comes from even being the guy who who puts your machine together, like not relying on somebody else to put it together or do your maintenance or, you know, whatever, like, like even for me, like as I got older and transitioned from being a kid to being an adult, taking on more of that, like I found a sense of pride in that, especially when I did well, knowing that, Hey, I'm the one that put this together. Like I set this thing up, you know? So then I think of what that must've been like for you to be developing parts and like, you know, actually like, you know, developing the machine that you're, that you're racing and succeeding on and winning on, and then having articles written about. And now, like you said, now you're the guy in the magazine, you grew up you know, looking at these guys and I remember it too. I remember seeing, you know, seeing the, the Doug Gus and the Shane hits and the Tim Fars like for the first time when I was a kid. And it's like, man, they, they don't even feel real. They, they truly don't feel real to you. And, and I'm sure you're felt, felt the same way when you went to some of those races and we're seeing, you know, Gary or, or, um, whoever for the first time, uh, Jimmy white, and, and just for you to kind of turn the corner, turn into that guy. And I can't imagine the pride that must've come with, Hey, like I built this, I built these parts that are on this thing. Um, I can't imagine what that even feels like. Like I, I, it's gotta be the coolest thing. Well, you know, that's, that, you know, what you said there, Cody's mouthful. I mean, in, in we, when I ran with Baker, you know, Baker and I talked a lot and Baker came from a, you know, his wife's family was big sprint car people. Okay. And we actually building a true, a true torsion bar, you know, sway bar, you know, using torsion dart technology. And I built two and Greg and I ran them, but Greg, Greg made me promise him that whole season that would just be me and him running those sway bars. Cause it was that big of an advantage. He felt that when we got it, that we, I wouldn't sell it to Shane or Timmy or any of the other guys. Sure. It was one year, one year. And that's all Greg asked for. And Greg still has, that original sway bar on his 250R. Really? That's one of the one of two is still in existence. It's still in South Dakota right now. Wow. I can, three hours I could be standing there looking at it. But uh uh but you know touching on that, I mean that's honestly Cody's how I went racing. I mean I it as you know it costs a lot of money to travel and stuff. I mean I built parts, sold parts at the track, you know, I'd bring it, I'd bring them with and guys would pay me at the track and I, that's and then hey, two more guys hey can you bring them next weekend it's like that's how i paid for fuel and hotels and that's how we kept things rolling mm-hmm. and the point where i was buying machine time and buying machine time and renting you know you know shop time and stuff and it's like um it was just getting out of control because i had no life left i mean i was working a full-time job a part job and building wrath parts and right i didn't to weld so i had to find a guy that would work part-time for me after hours and he would flake out on me and I, I, I had to leave for races and then i had parts that were supposed to be welded like sway bars that were supposed to go and it's like you know i just got so frustrated i i, I called my dad and i said dad i said you know cmi comes to your shop which is a you know a welding supply company okay i said see give me a price on a, on a miller welder i'm gonna teach myself how to do this because i'm sick of dealing mm-hmm. um and uh, 
taught myself and to be honest with you, I was, that was again, a humbling experience, you know, but uh, we, I finally uh, got to a point where I could do most of it myself and, uh, you know, bought, uh, bought some equipment here and there and try to you know, be more independent as the steps came along. Wow. It's cool to think about for me to think about the early days of, of how all this came together and then it becomes wrath racing because, and I know how that's all, how all these stories start, but obviously like wrath has been a huge part of my racing career, my racing story. Um, I've been a wrath rider for well over two decades and I, you know, I'm thankful obviously, of course, for all that you've done for me over the years, but I've been up to the shop uh, and it's been years now, but I've been up to the shop and it's beautiful. And for me to like walk into a facility like that as a, and again, I was maybe, I don't know, 20 when I was there or something like that, but just to go into a place and my parents owned, uh, you know, a, a ATV shop, but even to just walk in and see, you know, the jerseys that you guys had on the wall and all the cool stuff being built and whatever, like just to walk into a facility and have it be nothing but ATV stuff, man, uh, was the coolest thing for me. So to think about like how it started and, you know, how it, how it grows over the years and then, you know, all the rad builds to come out of there that were born there. Uh, just crazy to think about all, you know, kind of the history that, you know, wrath racing becomes, and then your racing career is very much a part of all of that too, Daryl. I mean, um, you've done a little bit of everything. Like we've talked about, you know, obviously the early stages of it, but as that develops, you know, you're doing flat track and TT early, you know, obviously ice stuff, always you're doing some motocross stuff. It goes on, you're doing supermoto and utility quads at the WPSA and, man, you've, you've done it all. Like, so everybody wants to do things for a profession that they're passionate about. You find people that say, well, you know, this is my day job, but I'm not passionate about it. And to have something that you, I mean, obviously, like you just said, you had no life left. You were working yourself to the bone, but have that, to have that blossom into something where you're working for and, and, uh, doing what you're passionate about, like what a, what a cool thing that is to think about, you know, you weren't slaving away in a mill, you know, you were, you know, developing ATV parts and, and like living out your boyhood dreams. Yeah. It was, you know, there's obviously, you know, when you hear these interviews from these top level riders, you know, they talk about all the work and, and the people that behind them, you know, I, I can sit there and appreciate that because no one does it alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're kidding yourselves. You got to definitely cross some past commitment lines. I mean, you know, all your friends are going to the lake and you're not going to the lake. You know, you're, they're going when you get old. I got old enough to be, you know, you're 21. They're, they're going out to the bar. They're going to a concert or whatever. You're not going because you got work to do or you're leaving to go to Tennessee or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. I've some of that stuff in my life. And I, I have no regrets because I'm, you know, I put this perspective. I mean, Shane hit and Tim Farr, those guys were my era. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Keith Littles and those guys and Doug and, but, you know, I got to, I, I, I keep up with those guys every once in a while, maybe not so much by phone, but by texts or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's, it's that friendship that's unconditional, I guess, you know, Shane, Shane texted me on Tuesday before PRI this year. And he said, Hey, you know, we're Timmy just called me and we're going to PRI. 
because I messaged him like the week before about it, and he didn't think he was going to go because he went to SEMA. And that Tuesday night, they were going, and he says, you better get your butt down there. And, then, you know, I went down, and I met up with those guys, and it's like we never, ever, you know, we, we hadn't probably seen each other in probably two years or maybe or a year and a half or two years, whatever it was last time. Mm-hmm. But it's just that that friendship, that respect level. I mean, Timmy's come to my shop, you know, and, and worked on his on his race car for, you know, Can-Am stuff, you know, for his short course stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, he caught was panicking because you know they are ERX and they had a bunch of work to get done and it was pouring rain and I said just come here I said I have all the equipment and you know we worked all night to get that thing together for him and he went back to ERX and had a great weekend but you know that respect level to dig in and help those guys or they'll I mean I, I expect the same thing back to them I know they do whatever they can to help me mm-hmm. and it's well and I think anybody that's listening to this right now maybe you don't have that friendship or you don't have that right now but you will have that in the future because that stuff those paths and stuff that you guys cross and the, all those times on the road that you guys travel and the racing and all that stuff that means something to these guys and it, it's going to come back and you have lifelong friendships mm-hmm. yeah for sure i think you're hitting the nail on the head so many times on these shows we talk about how you know the best friends you'll ever have are found at the racetrack they're made at the racetrack and that's because like the outside world doesn't understand, you know, why we do what we do. Just like you said, you give up, you, you truly give up your, that normal life, right? Like you said, the, the going out, going to parties, going to concerts, doing whatever you give that up to live out these dreams that you have. And the dreams that we had were, were in the ATV industry, you know? So, um, kind of, kind of funny how that works. You're bonded in a way, uh, with, the the people you grow up with, the competitors you grow up with. Um, so let's talk about some of the specifics before we get out of here, because I I had already figured Daryl, that this was going to have to be a multi multi multi-part episode here. Um, we're going to have to do this again. I told you, I didn't want to go a ton over an hour just to respect your time, but I do want to touch on a few things here before we finish up, because there's still tons of like, we're still in the early stages of your story, but there's plenty of things that I want to touch on, uh, that I think the, the audience would be, would be bummed if we didn't touch on them. So, uh, pretty cool to think about your racing career. Like I said, I hinted at the fact that you've done so much, your racing career and, and wrath racing has taken you so many cool places. Tell me about the, the supermoto era of, of ATV racing. I know you were very much a part of that. I remember going to Shawano Raceway, I think over here in Wisconsin and going and seeing you and Cody, Cody Anderson and the boys racing uh supermoto at the time. I thought that the supermoto two wheel, four wheel thing was, uh, was the coolest thing where you're on the pavement and then there's a little motocross section and all that stuff. I still think that that was so rad. So tell me a little bit about that, how that came about and how you were involved and how ATVs were involved and all those things. Um, tell me how that came about there. So that, you know, that era would have been, uh, what probably the early mid two thousands, probably I'm guessing mid, right? Because you weren't you weren't on two strokes at the time, so yeah. you're you're on PRXs. So I'm sitting here looking at a, one of the champagne bottles from the State Line Supermoto, and it's two. It's there's two of them there from two thousand seven. That's what um, I would have guessed. Two thousand seven. Okay. So yep. That would have been the beginning of me racing for Polaris back. That when I, I, I actually ended up with down at that the first year I think I went down to the Supermoto in Vegas at the state line race there. Yeah. Because yep. March, March was the guy promoted the races down there, and <clears throat> March called me, looking you know 
to stir riders up, pro riders. And he called me and said, man, you got to come down to the supermoto race. And I remember uh, Nick was, Nick Runlin was like the guy to beat. And, uh, you know, Nick, I think they ran a race here and I didn't know anything about it. By the time it came out, it was too late. You know, I didn't know anything about it. And, uh, thought it'd be cool. And he talked me into coming down there and I rode my Honda the very first year I went down there. And, uh, that was a, that was a really trick event. I mean, it was, obviously a long ways from home, 27 hours, I think from here to where we race in Vegas. But, uh, God, that was, that was a cool venue. Just the atmosphere there was neat. And, you know, Jeff Ward was there and mm -hmm. all the, you know, the, the factory bikes were there. I mean, that's when you, I think Honda and, you know, I think some of those guys were Suzuki and Yamaha all supported it somewhat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then they had us guys and, uh, just a cool track. And I think it's, uh, it fit me because I think it was a lot of throttle control because the track, you know, like the dirt part of the track was super, super slippery and hard, mm -hmm. like hard. Mm -hmm. Pretty, which is pretty typical of those, right? Cause they couldn't really water them the way that you'd water anything else. Cause they're running a slick tire on the bikes. Yeah, so they left them slick. And uh, I mean, and I, I say the jumps were like concrete. They were like concrete. They didn't move. <laughs> um, but uh, I did really well down there. You know, you come out of the dirt and there's always that transition where we drag all that dust out on the, on the asphalt. And that, you know, that makes it difficult at first. And you know, until you can feel your tires come back underneath you on, on the tar. And then once you get back out in the dirt, everything starts back all over again. But uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think I ended up second the first year I went down there. And I, in the following year, I signed the contract with, you know, with Polaris and had no time to prep and uh, sent uh I thought we were leaving home with a with a with a knife for a gunfight, and because uh, we died on the bike, and we were we were less horsepower than what we had on a Honda. But <laughs> I couldn't ride a Honda, so we went down there, and I thought, man, oh man, I'm I'm gonna drive twenty eight hours to get my ass handed to me. But uh, we actually went down there. We were riding a five twenty five Outlaw, and you know it would have been an oh oh eight Outlaw, yeah. and we ended up winning. We had to steal brake pads from some kid that was riding to the parking lot to finish the weekend because <laughs> the brake parts, you know, everything was so new and so we were so <laughs> last minute, Larry. And yeah, but we can't win in that day. And I tell you what, I mean, that, you know, the pivotal moment, you know, for Polaris that I was involved with those guys, you know, that was when they came out with the whole. I mean, I raced for Polaris and when they had, you know, in 03, I did a lot of development work, which is a whole other story, but, uh, mm -hmm just that supermodal side of it, you know, then we did some stuff, you know, like you said, over Shawana and I know they did Nashville and places like that. And, uh, I, I truly loved supermodal. It was, mm -hmm. it was fun. I mean, I'd have to say it was one of my top things I did. I mean, I think probably the most fun I ever had and the neatest atmosphere for me ever the race was running the indoor rail, like races, like clear channel was one of them. They called oh, yeah. it. Yeah. We ran stadium races, like, anaheim stadium and mm -hmm. you know all, i mean there is nothing more cool than rolling down that ramp and coming out into anaheim stadium with forty-five thousand people screaming yeah for you. so that would have been 90s right like that would have been mid 90s early 2000s would be the For, latest of that thousands i was riding i was riding a, a predator which was introduced in 2000 or fall of 2002 so it had been the winter of 2003 would have been the first year of that I think it was clear channel that we, they called it back then. So that's when, you know, we had Dana Creech and Tim yes. Barr, Keith little, and you know, yep. all those Corey Ellis and all yep. that. I, they allowed me to ride my 500 
because Jimmy White would had something to do with that back then. He was one of the race directors, right. and because vehicle that size, you know, Jimmy allowed me to run a 500 against the other guys' 450s. But you know, Dana Creech is riding a, I think it was a Walsh full Walsh build with a new CRF motor in it. So mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, there is a minimum weight for those guys because those guys are floating around that 320 pounds. I was at 370 pounds. You know, I, <laughs> I was I was heavy, but you know. Uh, some great people, White Brothers, you know, Donnie Luce back then worked for White Brothers. And luckily, I, you know, I put together a, a program where I got my trailer out there and left the trailer out there and then used the box van from White Brothers to travel um, on the West Coast out there to those races. And uh, it just, to me, that, that was the most fun I think I've ever had is the indoor racing. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. The following message is brought to you by Manscaped.com. The Manscaped engineering team has outdone themselves this time, creating the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, now available for purchase in the U.S. and Canada. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, an official sponsor of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, with this exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I am blown away. This thing is next level. What sets this trimmer apart from all the rest? The Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. It features a new multi-functioning on-off switch with travel lock for those of us who like to travel. And my favorite, the new trimmer allows you to customize your trim with four different guard lengths and upgrade from its predecessor that only featured two. If you're listening, you know that good tools are a must, so wait no more to get the best tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using code DIGGINGDEEP20. Hey everyone, this is Larry Mills, president of DP Breaks North America and proud partner of the Digging Deep ATV MX podcast. We at DP Brakes are a longtime supporter of ATV racing and the world leader in centered brake technology, dominating the ATV world for decades by supporting the best four-wheel racers on the planet. This year's lineup includes Jeff Rastrelli, Mark Baldwin and Baldwin Motorsports, Ford Brothers Racing, Nick Janusa, and many more, including Mr. Digging Deep himself, Cody Jansen, plus all the top 17 GNCC pros such as seven-time champion Walker Fowler, Bryson Neal, Hunter Hart, Cole Richardson, and Jared McClure, Adam McGill, and previous champion Chris Borich. These top riders continue to appreciate the high performance and impressive durability that their DP brakes have to offer, products that ultimately help place them on top of the podium week after week. DP brakes are available through www.dp-brakes.com or you can purchase them through your local Parts Unlimited stocking dealer, or you can even message us, myself, Larry Mills, or DP Brakes on Instagram or Facebook. And if you have any questions about product or sponsorship support, please ask us. We are waiting for you. Join the best ATV riders in the world equipped with DP Brakes, and have a great year, everyone. Nearing two decades into the brand's existence, Factory 43 is back and better than ever, continuing to make major waves in the ATV world. For the third consecutive season, Factory 43 is the official aluminum parts choice of the Phoenix Racing ATV team, providing their state-of-the-art Evo Nerf bars, MX-style front bumpers, and grab bars for two-time champ Joel Hetrick. If you're in the market to upgrade your Nerf bars, bumpers, or grab bars, head over to Factory43ATV.com to see their full line of industry-leading products available for all makes and models. Head over to Factory43ATV.com today. I mean, that was the most fun I think I've ever had is the indoor racing. 
I believe that talking to Dana, talking to Corey, some of those guys that were very much a part of that at that time, they've all said the same thing that there was nothing cooler than being in those stadiums and all the people and, and yeah, the hoopla that was those races. So yeah, I I'm glad that you were able to touch on that. So I agree to tie a bow on the supermoto stuff because for me too, like that's one of those things that I wish I could have been uh, of age in that era because I would have loved to have done some of that. That looks like so much fun still to this day. And so two topics I want to touch on about that same time period of 2007. I want to ask you about the WPSA stuff because you were racing the four by four uh, at the WPSA, which I think was for Articat, right? Like I, I remember you as such a Polaris guy, though for that little bit of time there in 2007, you're on an Articat on a four by four at the WPSA. So uh, how did that opportunity come about? Tell me about uh, the Articat four by four at the WPSA. So we'll back up just a little bit. So okay. when Polaris first introduced the Scrambler, that the, the 400 two-stroke Scrambler, yep in town was a family friend he called me up and said hey you should really come and ride this thing so i hey i, I willing to let me ride something pound some laps on it i <laughs> went and got and took it out to my parents place where i had my motocross track and rode it and it was fun it was a good time i mean it had a ball hitch on it and everything it was like this thing is pretty cool you know well then he said would you race it and i said well there's a cross-country race up in Brainerd, minnesota this weekend i said if you want to go with it's me, you and dad, let's run up there, you know? So I went up and raced that thing. And that's closer to, you know, to, to Roseau, which were a lot of Polaris guys were from. And there were actually turned out to be some Polaris guys there that weekend. And I won with the thing and we did really good with the thing. And it's like, this thing actually worked pretty good. You know, we didn't do anything. It was just stock. So then the following weekend, I went and raced it at a motocross at Staples, Minnesota. And that poor thing got it. Cause I was riding a lagger bike back then you know i had a lagger bike and i'd, I'd ride the lagger bike in a 250 class in the open class i'd ride that polaris and it's like i counted that thing so hard we had to cut the shock bolts out of the back to get it apart you know to get the <laughs> so i did that you know the uh, polaris got involved did some stuff there and i built some hand builds and stuff with those guys and then uh at the time they just said you know we we this is all we can do for you because they were not in the sport quad market the scrambler was where they're that's where they were going to be. Okay. And they said, if it changed, you know, so this was, this is 97, 98, you know, and if anything ever changed, we'll let you know. Um, I got a call in 2000, 2000, 2001, maybe. And uh, one of the engineers I'd met, spent some time with, he said, Hey, Daryl, he says, we told you we'd call you when we were ready and we're ready. We have a budget approved and you are seriously our first call can you be here tomorrow morning? That's like, <laughs> I said, well, I said, I said, I have to talk to my boss, you know, I was at work and I asked Dale and Dale said, yeah, you can take tomorrow off. And so I had to be at the airport down in, you know, in uh, at a suburb of Minneapolis area there. And they flew me up to Roseau. I was up in Roseau by eight o'clock in the morning. I was in meetings all day long, but they had, they wanted a wish list. So I gave him a wish list of that predator, you know, with rebuildable shocks, you know, Douglas wheels and this and that Maxis tires and axle that doesn't break and all that stuff up front. And they built that predator. So I raced, I did a lot of development work for players Raced under contract, the predator for two or three seasons. And at that time, players was working on an independent bike because they wanted to get into racing GNCCs and they thought that independent bike was the future. And okay. yeah, I disagreed. 
I didn't feel that that wasn't my direction. Okay. I wanted, I wanted to predator to weigh 50 pounds less, make more power. That's what I wanted. You know, I want to be able to race motocross, dirt track, ice, whatever. Of course. Yep. They weren't going that direction. So we split ways, no hard feelings, no follow. And they, you know, they built that independent, independent did okay, but didn't set the world on fire. So I was, I was free guy. So I was just racing. Riding my Honda, went back and bought a Honda, built a Honda and did all that stuff, you know, because I wasn't on contract anymore. No and yep. I was racing and I got a cow, I got a call from Cat. With they would they asked if I would come up and do some development um on a sport quad. I had money's money, and if I can work with fun stuff, and I, I was I went up there and worked with those guys, and I was actually up at Cat um on a I went up on a Monday and it was Tuesday in a meeting and I knew this WPSA thing was coming up that following weekend in London, Kentucky. It was very, yeah, it was the very first round. And, uh, I sit in the meeting with those guys. I got a little more comfortable with those guys. I said, Hey, I said, how good's your utility? Oh yeah. That's great. Got all kinds of ground clearance and super durable and all this. It's like, okay, well, let's prove it. And they looked at me, what do you mean? I said, well, there's a race in London, Kentucky this weekend called Terracross. All right, it's a quad. No, it's quad train challenge. Sorry, it's quad quad train challenge. Yeah. I said, I said, let's uh, let's go down there. I said, give me a bike and I'll ride it. <laughs> so they got on their computers and they looked at all this stuff and it's like, you know, it's like okay. So they I'm creating me one and it's, it's like, well, you better get home and ride it. You've never even ridden it. So everything I was supposed to do during the week got canceled. And I called my wife on the way home about three o'clock in the afternoon. I said, hey, I said I'm on my way home. She goes, I thought you weren't coming home until Thursday. I said, well, I said there's a problem. I said. We're leaving to go to London, Kentucky on Thursday to go race a quad train challenge on a four by four. She goes, You don't ride a four by four. I said, Well, I am this weekend. So I had a brand new one in the back of my pickup, drove home, rode it. And uh, they called me on thir- on Wednesday and said, Hey, we're not going to send you down there by yourself. So they'll come down there and help me. And we seriously left home with Joe Duncan, the guy that was tied to WPSA back then. Okay. It was him, myself, and Jen and, and his pickup. Drove down there in the back of a pickup with with a whole lot of stuff that was supposed to show up at the track, like tire balls and tires and wheels and all kinds of stuff that was supposed to show up at the track. Because we seriously built my quad I raced at the track on Friday morning. Wow. Uh, which wasn't a lot of building because of the stock, you know, so you have a tether switch and stuff like that. But it was mm-hmm. it was definitely pieced together stuff. And, uh, you know, we ended up winning both days. And it's like, okay, now, you know, we went home and – you know, the guys at West for, that were down there at Cat was a development guy I worked with. You know, he was a tech. And it's like, he was so excited. And, you know, it's like, what are, you know, what are we going to do now? You know, we're we going to race the rest of the series. And I was like, I will if you guys help me, you know. You kind of have well, to now, you know. Well, that was the problem. I got home and the cat calls me on, uh, the engineering guys call me on, on Monday morning. It's like, you know, congratulate me. But and they said, well, here's the problem, Daryl. I said, I said, what's the problem? It's like, well, did you say in any of your interviews that you're racing for Articat? And I said, well, I don't think so. You know, I said, I said I was riding Articat, but I said I wasn't racing for Cat or I wasn't racing for Factor Cat. Well, that's the problem we got right now because we have no budget. We have no nothing. And so right now he says, we're going to sell this, that we're going to do accelerated product development with you is what we're going to do. So that's what I did that year in that I won the championship, it was accelerated product development is what I did. Okay. Um, And, you know, we started out, like I said, with a plain white trailer that was, you know, an engineering trailer to 
I believe probably midway through that season, we we're actually racing out of the semi that they used, you know, for snowcross mm-hmm. with a big yeah. teammates. Like it was just me first. And then all of a sudden there was three, there's four of us, which is fine. You know, they wanted to get more cats out there because Can-Am came in with, you know, they came for bear and, you know, Polaris or, you know, not Polaris, but Artie Cat wanted to be a player. And that's how that evolved. And then the, the, the following year I got, got together with a team with Artie Cat, from snowcross side of things, I got basically put a program together at Winter X Snowcross. Got it, had the Jack Links team and the Articap contract. He hired me to run with those guys the next season. And then we also raced side by sides and two and then uh, the utilities. So I did two years of the Articap deal. So th- that was why it was so interesting to me because obviously I don't remember you as an Articap guy, right? But, uh, but yeah, it's funny how that worked because then not that long after that, my my next question on my list here is I and I knew you had done some previous Polaris stuff, right? We talked about the Predator and whatever. Um, but I literally my question here is it couldn't have been too long after that that your partnership with Polaris began because as we kind of transition forward with Polaris. Uh, you know, Polaris has this, you know, uh, national ATV motocross effort that eventually comes and Wrath Racing was essentially kind of like factory Polaris, right? Uh, so, so, um, not only does that have to be a, a really cool feather in the cap of Wrath Racing, but things come full circle. Now we're like, you're heading this sport ATV, you know, kind of race team thing. Um, so I don't know if you want to tell me how that all comes about, but actually like what you had dreamt of with the sport quad and, and, you know, a rigid rear end and all these things. I mean, that's like, it actually comes to fruition. Yeah. So what happened is, you know, I ran for cat two years and the, the end of the season, we were in New Jersey, the last round of that, for that series. Um, I was helping tear down the truck at the end of the day. Um, and I noticed two guys I knew that were Polaris guys. I recognized them from engineering. And I had seen them around the track. I said hi to them earlier and stuff. I kept it pretty short and sweet always. Um, but they were they're kind of waiting waiting for me to get done so they could talk to me. So I got down from the truck and we were kind of had everything packed up. And I went over and talked to them. And they said, hey, I said, I said I'm said, sure I know you got dinner plans with the team tonight. But can we get you for a half hour tonight? We want to talk. I said, sure. And then they said, Are you when's your contract end? And I said, My contract is over October 1st with CAT. Mm-hmm. I said, I said, and, and you and they said, Have you resigned for next year? I said, No. I said, I said, we're talked. I said, but nothing signed. Um and they said, Well, that's great. Just call us at as soon as you're done with dinner and we'll we'll go out and we'll have a beer and we'll we'll talk. And sat down for a beer with those guys at about nine o'clock at night and they flat out looked me right in the eyes and said, Daryl, we don't want you riding an Articat no more. We want you back. Well, it was, it was probably a kind of a kick in the nuts to them because you were always a Polaris guy. Then yeah. in, in, in Polaris is obviously, you know, they're like the kingpin when it comes to utility ATVs, especially in this region. Right. And so now you're, you're out there right, literally racing a utility quad for somebody else. I'm sure they didn't like that. Yeah, so what it, what it was, you know, I sat down that meeting and I told him, I said, guys, I said, there's no way I said I can take that, you know, the the, the sportsman that you have now and make it live on a, on a quad terrain track. I said, oh, we'll, we'll smash that radiator right out. We'll destroy that that bike. I said, I don't think it'd be competitive if I could keep it alive. Well, that's why this is why we're here. And at that time, you know, 
they said, we have, we have a completely new machine for you to ride. Like, okay. So I signed confidentiality agreements. They flew me down to someplace in the Carolinas that had a enduro cross track. Okay. They, they took the, one of my, one of my race squads from Articat, the one I raced and they had every Can-Am, they had every Yamaha, they had every, every utility quad there for me when I got there. And I had this enduro cross track to myself. And I had two days to figure out if I could, if, if I was comfortable to go back and, you know, if I could win on this bike, it wasn't even released yet. It was pre-production stuff. And I, I pounded so many laps on that track and I wrecked so much shit um, <laughs> on everything. And it, cause that it was an enduro cross track. I mean, it was, it was way, it was way gnarlier than what you were even used to at WPS. It, it was pretty nasty. And, I, and to be honest with you, I was riding the stuff with no, it was, they were stock based bikes. They weren't extra skid plates and they weren't, you know, reinforced wheels and they weren't tire balled or anything. I would, I sure. tore up a lot. And sure. yep. that weekend they looked at me, he's like, they looked at the pile of parts and they said, well, what do you think? You think you, think you can make this, we can make this live. And I said, absolutely. We can make this live, you know, and, and you think you can be fast. And it's like, we recorded lap times. And by the time, because they had a 550 and 850 sportsman, the new one that was coming out. I was running faster lap times on the 550 than I was in my race cat. You know, at by the end of time. But was, the, the big thing was is that power steering they had. Um, that was that was the game changer. I mean, that that changed everything. And that that quad had good ground, you know, ground clearance, had good shocks. The thing, the thing worked. It felt it felt light to me, I guess is probably the easiest way to say it. So sure. I Signed a two-year deal with them to race quad train, um, WPSA, and then they wanted me to also head up the motocross side of it and side-by-side stuff. So I was busy. You know, I had to find I had to find riders. You know, for the motocross team, I had to find some riders for the terracross, the you know the the utility side of things, and uh, so that was you know spring of spring of you know winter of 08, Let's just call it. I had everything locked down and we're going to go racing, you know, mm-hmm. TV life is good. People, people would talk to me that didn't know I even raced. I'd raced for 20 years already probably. And they'd say, well, I didn't know you race. I see you on TV. It's like, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> now, to be honest with you, Cody, I made more money racing a utility than I ever, ever did race in a sport quad. Oh, that ever. doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. That doesn't no, surprise I, me, especially in that era on TV, all the branding that was going on with those things at the time. And I often thought like that probably translated to selling ATVs more than a sport quad ever would, because you were out there bombing around in the utility quads that that was what people bought at the time. Cause the side-by-sides weren't a thing yet. You know, it was, you know, that was very, very new, you know, side-by-side stuff is really, really new. You know, there's just early razor stuff i mean i'd seen some stuff at the factory you know i I I knew existed before they ever released it but Mm -hmm. yeah and and i never left when i left claris there was no hard feelings to begin with you know it's just we're just going down two different paths and i I, i'm looking for something different and then and then this all evolved with the utility and then you know after that the you know the outlaw the new outlaw came out with the solid rear axle and the ktm motors in it all this everything changed you know, everything kind of played back into my hand. And uh, to this day, I still have a great relationship with Polaris. I mean, not so much, obviously, in the racing side of it, but they I do some stuff. They still help me on things. Um, they're helping me out with some side-by-side stuff now. And 
you know, they're looking for some some development, some try to get rid of some weight, and you know, just things as a racer that's been around forever that can mm-hmm. help, you know, minimum minimum investment on their side, and and kind of a handshake deal, and it's just we putts and work together back and forth, and it's it's comfortable for me. It's comfortable for them right now. Yeah. So. It's an asset for, for you. It's an asset for them, which totally makes sense. So tell me, uh, I don't know that you would have been there that day. Probably not. But when Casey Martin wins, uh, on the Polaris in the pro-am class, uh, um, so, I have to imagine that there was some pretty cool emotions that come along with learning that news. Yeah. So, you know, it's, so what happened is, you know, we're all locked and loaded to go race. Um, WPSA, you know, everything, I would have been there with the team. Everything was, we had everything ready. Yeah. Um, but then the, then the series folds when we were all ready to go racing in 2008. Yeah. yeah. So you, you know what happened. So all of a sudden it's like, okay, emergency meeting, drive down to headquarters in Medina. It's like, okay, I got all these vehicles. I got, I got riders hired. I got, you know, everything we're ready to go racing, but we got no place to race. Mm-hmm. So the only thing we could do is, we take the utilities and we go race GNCCs, you know, GNCCs with myself and my riders. And then we take the motocross side of it and they go race the motocross nationals. Mm-hmm. And Jen, Jen went with those guys and worked as a team manager, I guess you'd call it with, you know, for that side of it. And I went and raced and whether well, you team manager, I guess I'm not in title stuff, but so, I mean, our past, I, one weekend, you know, she'd be in Tennessee and I'd be in South Carolina racing. Okay. I mean, a lot of times that we're doubled up because the GNCCs and the motocross, they, they schedule on top of themselves, each other all the time. Yep. Um, in the weekend that Casey won, I was gone racing GNCCs. Got it. But that's, I mean, Casey's a great guy. Good. I mean, we got a lot of respect for him and his family. They're great people. Yep. Uh, we had some, we, you know, put in a lot of work and uh that 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 new body style outlaw i mean we worked i worked with the industrial design group to make that bike more comfortable and fit compared to the you know the, the seven and eight plastic you yeah. know the nine and i thought the nine and ten outlaws were, were a badass looking bike when they were all built i mean i thought the, they still do look good i mean i i thought our bikes the red white and black bikes those things were clean looking super nice bikes yes yeah, actually, my very next thing that I have written on my sheet here is that some of those Polaris builds in that in the, the second half of of that era there uh, were pretty damn cool. Um, and I, and I wanted to ask you about it because the Polaris Sport Quad project and then seeing it succeed at a very high level, almost as high a level as it gets. Uh, like I said, I just assumed that some serious pride came. Uh, with that because you might have been the one with that vision before even anybody at Polaris corporate even was envisioning that well that's that's what you know that's what it started out way back in 2001 when they hired me to help develop the predator mm-hmm. i mean you know, i i i can say it now but i raced a predator chassis with a yz for 400 motor in it because that's all there was yep and we called it a hybrid. And if anybody asked, you know, my we ran 400x plastic on it and stuff. And if anybody asked, I was building it for a guy from the East Coast that wanted his own, wanted a frame of his own that for me. So I I'd go to these fair races and some of these local motocrosses and ride that chassis with a Yamaha motor in it. <laughs> Nobody knew the difference, and only one guy caught it. Someone made a comment that 
Flaris has a star on their logo. Okay. Well, star, I forgot to grind off the front master cylinder. And oh, my like, gosh. And the guy the guy is looking at the pits. He goes, oh, you're running a Flaris front master cylinder. And the guys, there was, engine, there was an engineer with me from Flaris. It's like, he looked at me and he, <laughs> I looked at him, you know, and uh, like, yeah, it's like, I, you know, it actually works really good. And it's a lot cheaper than a Honda. And I, and I, I luckily spit that out and the guy never asked another question about it. Wow. You know, it was over and done with. And, uh, you know, I got to race that bike the weekend they released it at the dealer show up in Northern Minnesota. Nobody even knew it existed. And I had one ready to go and I pounded a lot of laps on that thing. And I went up that weekend and I remember, I remember bringing it in the back of my little S 10 pickup and went and raced up in by Duluth, Minnesota at a, at a motocross track. And that thing was just, I was so proud that, we had a bike that was competitive. You know, it was, it was pretty cool. Success in the ATV MX world is similar to what creates financial success as well. The right people, the right advice, and more importantly, hard work and the benefit of an ongoing relationship as situations change and adversity is experienced. Do you have the right financial advisor to help you reach your goals? Haymower Financial Group can create a personalized, goal-based plan to help your family prepare for whatever life brings. Call me, Scott Haymower, at Haymower Financial Group a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services at 920-338-8150. That's 920-338-8150. Offices located in beautiful De Pere, Wisconsin, with registrations and clients nationwide. Headlined by the 4130 Chromali, Launderville Steel and Concrete Supply is a full-service steel supplier of new and surplus steel, aluminum, and stainless steel products. This racing family-owned full metal service center and concrete product supplier comes with over 30 years of experience serving the entire United States from their central Midwest location. As the number one choice for nationwide shipments and with available next-day delivery in select areas, LSE has you covered near or far. 4130 is not just the chromoly tubing and plate used in the building of chassis for an array of motorsports applications, but it is also the name of the newest addition to the Pro Paddock with riders Jaden J.J. Launderville and Max Linquist, introducing the new 4130 Motorsports team. Launderville Steel offers a large selection of material for any project, including their concrete division that can supply everything you need to complete your next business or personal project. For a quote or more info, visit LaundervilleSteel.com today or give them a call at 715-675-6193. That's 715-675-6193. Here at Digging Deep, we have an obvious passion for ATVs and pridefully enjoy sharing the sport's history. Since 2019, when the podcast was born, we've been working to partner with individuals who share our passion, but one man and his vision had been missing from our partnership group until now. When it comes to the sports history, the hallowed grounds of Binky's Forever ATC Museum has it all. Binky Tapscott's mind-blowing collection of three and four wheelers has preserved history by spanning all makes and models from Honda three-wheelers in chronological order to unique builds that shaped ATV racing as we know it, like Doug Gust's iconic DRZ-powered hybrid thumper and everything in between. There's no denying Binky's passion, a passion that we certainly relate to here at Digging Deep. Binky's goal is to share his amazing collection with fellow enthusiasts by making his prized possessions accessible to the public via scheduled visits. Follow Forever ATC Museum on Facebook and watch foreveratc.com for further updates on possibly getting a chance to see Binky's Forever ATC Museum for yourself. We are proud to welcome Binky's Forever ATC Museum to the Digging Deep family. As the number one podcast in ATV racing, it's only right that we partner with the industry leaders in suspension tuning. 
insert Impact Solutions. Impact Solutions is a full-service ATV and side-by-side suspension center specializing in the revalving and service of your motocross and off-road suspension. With over 25 years of elite-level knowledge, experience, and testing with riders of all ages and ability levels, Jay Goble and the Impact crew strive to exceed clients' expectations for service and setup. Impact Solutions is the official Elka Suspension Service Center of the United States, offering unmatched product knowledge and experience. Whether you're in need of service, parts, warranty, sales, or technical support, Impact Solutions has you covered. Head over to ImpactSolutionsATV.com or give them a call today. With the desire to keep you in the race, Ultimate Poly Products offers the ultimate protection collection of case savers, chain sliders, intake manifolds, and more. Founded on quality in 1998, this family-owned and operated business produces products created by racers for racers. These industry-leading products are proudly made and manufactured in the USA, with their case savers being made of the highest quality American-made polyurethane on the market and designed to completely conform to your engine case to help prevent case damage from a thrown chain because no one wants to be a spectator on race day. Join top pro riders like Bryson Neal, Walker Fowler, John Glotta Jr., Adam McGill, Cole Richardson, and more by using UPP Racing products. Use discount code DIGGINGDEEP15 at upprac.com to save on your next order. Ultimate Poly Products, made to last longer so you can ride more. Thanks for listening, and remember to support our partners. Now back to the show. That's uh, that's pretty cool, especially thinking about that that hybrid there and I guess as we kind of try to fast track some of these last questions that I got, uh, remembering some of those builds and and all the cool builds that you've had, they're countless. So I don't even know how I would ever ask you what's your favorite, but I'm going to ask you anyway, do you have a favorite build? Like when, when you think about all the stuff you've done from the start till now, do you have a favorite build that comes to mind thinking about hybrids and, and all the stuff you've done? Do you have a favorite? Well, I think, I think one of them, you know, is a, I think we always look at pivotal ones, right? And yep. uh, ones that got you a lot of attention that were big head turners. Um, you know, I, I, I got, I've done a lot. You know, and you just said hit that, but uh, the one I guess was kind of neat is back when KTM dirt bikes were big, starting to gain traction in in our you know in, in the U.S. I wanted to build a KTM quad, and I sat in at. Orville, Ohio, in the grandstand next to me and Mike Walsh sat and talked. And I told him I wanted him to build me a chassis with a KTM in it. So this was this is in July and August. So Mike, I sent the motor, I bought a bike. I think I bought I think I bought a crate motor at that time through my dealer, luckily. And I shipped the motor down and Mike built a frame and sent it back up to me. And I built that one that was like in the front of uh um ATV Sport. It was in front of dirt wheels too you know we got front covers got you know center folds on all that bike i mean i got so much cover i went to the dealer shows and it was such a such a head turn that bike was so so beautiful i mean it was one of those things that was completely built from the ground up you know mike built the frame swing arm arms you know all that stuff um so it was it was just a cool build just a, a lot of neat stuff you know this that was probably one that you know I got a lot of coverage out of it. And I kind of exploded from there, you know, and, and building other things. But that was that was a something I I guess like was neat because I actually worked with Mike, yeah, you know, and I got a ton of respect for Mike. I mm-hmm. think Mike's a very very intelligent guy. Mm-hmm. You know, his dad was around. I mean, his dad taught him an, a a ton about fabricating and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's one of those things. I 
I, I thought it was kind of neat because it was a, a joint effort between the two of us, maybe. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's uh that's cool to think about. What year would that have been? It had to be early two thousands ish. Um, yeah, because that was before I had to sell that bike when I signed the contract to go race for Polaris with yeah. the Predator. Yeah, that, that oh. would make sense. That would make sense. Um, yeah, it's it's art in a way, right? Just like so many of the the products that you guys build are works of art. You're like an artist and uh in you know the products not only are a huge part of you know the market share today but also you know kind of thinking about the the stuff that you make the parts that you guys build got to be kind of prideful to think about like how wrath parts have been basically on at one point or another in ATV racing, just about everybody's bike has had wrath parts on it, you know, bumpers or, you know, grab bars, sway bars, nerf bars, um, all those things. There's got to be a lot of pride that comes with that, Daryl, I would think, because anybody who's anybody has had wrath parts on their quad at at least one time or another. That's a pretty darn cool thing to think about. Yeah, it is. And Cody, it's, you know, it's at, at the end of the day, you know, I got a great crew. And I've always, I'm, I'm extremely proud of my guys. You know, you, you, they always was told surround, surround yourself with good people. And, yeah. and, uh, and then, yeah, I've, I've been fortunate. I've got some guys that have been with me for 14 years, 15 years. You know, they, this, you know, I think it's, it's, they wouldn't be here if they didn't like it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got to work on some extremely cool stuff for, you know, for Polaris, you know, we did some, we used to do a lot for the industrial design group. I mean, I built some pretty crazy stuff here. I mean, uh, you know, I had contracts, you know, working with Yamaha, you know, when they developed that, you know, the new four stroke stuff and sure. had, had one way glass and doors locked and in separate rooms in the shop and had Japanese engineers working out of my conference room. And I mean, Cody, I, there's so many layers of this stuff and I, I've been yeah. truly blessed you know, by, by working with very, very intelligent people from all walks of life, whether it was, you know, engineers from Japan or whatever, Polaris, Cat, you know, I mean, I, I guess I've always tried to be a sponge when I've been around those guys, because you can always learn something from these people. And, and mm-hmm. I got a ton of respect for all those guys. And I think, I think it's, it works both ways. I think, Cause I mean, at the end of the day, I don't, I never want to burn any bridges. I still can shake hands with the guys from cat. I still can shake hands with the guys from Polaris, you know, Yamaha guys. I mean, um, it's just, I mean, I even, I even rode for factory Suzuki one weekend, you know, Rod Lapuziak got me a King quad and I raced it. I actually raced it too. I raced it at Ironman GNCC. And then two weeks later I ran the Enduro cross race at uh, Guthrie, Oklahoma with it. Wow. That was it. Two races. That was over. <laughs> Then I got tied back up into something else. I mean, just, you know, just like you said, I mean, the days of the WPSA days when the marketability of, of the talented, you know, the top riders back then was unbelievable. I mean, I don't know if we'll ever, ever see that again, Cody. And and to put that into, for people to understand it, the riders that never got to do that. It's sad because it's like, and I wish I wouldn't know that it was going to crash. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And then, you know, it's just, yep. it's unfortunate. I mean, cause I mean, I looked at what Polaris was working on to develop and the, you know, their next level outlaw. I mean, I was looking, I mean, if that thing would have came out, I truly thought 
and I and, and to this day I still believe that would have been the quad to have. It would have it would have changed things because we had some people there that had that hunger in the engine because it, it all comes down to people, Cody. Mm-hmm. The, you know, if someone gets a job, you know, it's like it, it's his. All of a sudden, it's his a task. It's to develop a sport quad, and he doesn't have the passion for it. Yep. It's 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 not going to be great. It's going to be good, but it's not going to be great. Yep. But we had some people there that were passionate. Yeah, you know, I think I think they maybe they fed off of me because of my passion and how hard I worked on everything. Some you know, and they knew that they they needed to be part of it. It's and but you know that what happened then you know is when the with Polaris is the sport quad market wasn't paying the bills. You know, at that time Polaris couldn't build enough razors and it was pretty hard for these guys to sit down with bean counters in these meetings and say, by the way, we're gonna shut down production on the razors for a month and build outlaws, ten thousand outlaws that we might not sell. Mm-hmm. And and that it just doesn't make sense when at the time they could they were trying to build probably seventy, eighty thousand razors as fast as they could yeah, couldn't build them fast enough yeah correct and they couldn't you know and then that razor platform originally was they never ever expected to sell what they did that the tooling and stuff was never ever supposed to run as many as they did of that original razor platform not even close i mean that honestly caught i think of all the things that caught polaris off guard is how that blew up on them mm-hmm. yeah i i'm not i'm not surprised by that at all but i think I think for so many of us that were involved at the time, it was like you're reading a book, you read the first two chapters, you're ready to, you know, flip the page to the third chapter. And it's a blank book after that. Like that's how everybody felt when the WPSA went away. And I think that you're, you're speaking exactly what I would have said too. Like you, we didn't even get a chance to appreciate it because that's just not how we operate as humans at the time. You, we don't, we don't appreciate what we got at the time. We, we were just rolling out. Like this is the new norm. We're on ESPN two every weekend. This is just the thing. And as we're rolling out for year three, I mean, it was only a few months, a couple months before that first race was going to go down and all of a sudden bang, there is no series. And, uh, it's, it's for people that weren't living it at the time, you can't even put into words like the, the shock and, and, you know, everything that comes along with that. But, uh, but yeah, Daryl, like I said, um, we could, we could talk ourselves blue in the face about all this stuff. We have so much to talk about. I feel like we're just scratching the surface here. Um, but just talking about your career, uh, wrath racing as a whole, I think that you have so much to be proud of. And again, I can't thank you enough for, for supporting my own personal program over the years. So many people listening right now have been, uh, supported by wrath racing, I'm sure. And can't thank you enough for, for all that. I can't thank you enough for your time tonight too. Like I said, I feel like we're just scratching the surface here. We're going to have to do a part two. Let's end it with uh, a favorite racing memory. Do you have a favorite racing memory, whether it's, um, you know, kind of cheering, cheering on maybe your riders racing yourself. Do you have a favorite racing memory of, of the million that you probably have? Could you boil it down to one? Yeah, there's, there's, there's so many Cody, but I, I think there's, there's some that, you know, this kind of stand out. I mean, I think, I think the very first race I won on that hybrid I built when I, when I beat Shane and, and that day, I mean, Shane was, Shane was like, like you said, you hit on it earlier. Shane was like a, like an, a, he was like, the, he was a guy. He, he was, was the guy. guy. Yep. I mean, if you could beat Shane, you could beat anybody, you know, it's like, and I, that day at Dallas record in Tennessee, I mean, 
got the whole shot and I, and I was leading, leading, leading. And I remember, I remember the guys that were with me. It's like, they're giving me the hand signals every lap. It's like, what, what's going on? Where, where is Shane? Where's Darren Nacarado? Where, where are these guys? These guys got to be catching me because I knew my conditioning wasn't where it needed to be because it was early in the year. So I couldn't even hardly ride at home. You right. know, it was muddy snow at home yet. And we're racing yeah. down in you know, April and Dallas Ricker. So I, and that thing was kicking my butt. I was, it was wearing me out. And, uh, and when I won that day it was, that was just, just such a big deal. And then, you know, and then when I actually won the championship at Loretta Lynn's that day, when some friends of mine, you know, Craig Chapman and Mal Heinen, two good buddies of mine that, I mean, Craig Chapman was one of the guys that went racing all that summer with me as much as he could to help share the expenses and stuff, you know, the motocross national side of it. And, uh, those guys, when I came off the off Loretta Lynn's, you come over the rollers there, you know, that, that rhythm section by the scoring tower and you know, where everybody parks, you've been there. Anybody has been Loretta Lynn's, but it's what I'm talking about. You park there. Those guys peel the number five off and they put the number one on the, on my front number plate. I'll never forget staring at that, that big number of fat, big fat number one on my bike. It's like, this is it. You know I mean? I mean, you know, like, Gary Denton himself came over and shook my hand and, and, you know, Arlen from LRD came over and hugged me and Wayne and all these guys. I mean, just, there's so many people that all that season that, you know, maybe they believed in me and maybe, you know, they thought it's like, you know, this could be my year to get that. And it's like that, yeah. that such a pivotal moment, I guess that, mm-hmm. that, that ride home, this seemed so weird, I guess that was yeah. the thing in the world. Well, it's funny how those memories, though they were, you know, decades ago, they stick with us because they're like, you can still feel it. You can still feel that feeling to this day. And, and, uh, that's what we live for. Right, Daryl. I mean, you're always, you're always chasing that. doesn't matter how we, you know, how much older we get all the years that go by, whatever, like, as long as we're living, as long as we're breathing, still competing, uh, that that's the feeling that a person lives for, you know, you're just trying to relive that feeling again. But like I said, it's funny how those, those memories stick with us. And it's funny how, and I know we haven't told your whole story here. We're going to have to, like I said, we're going to have to tell more, um, but we've, we've filled in some gaps here and the story started with you and your dad kind of sharing a passion for racing. And I think it it's only right to kind of cap at least this part of the conversation by, you know, talking about Tucker and how he's got a passion for racing that you obviously share with him that you've kind of instilled in him. And he's gone on to be a really great racer in his own right, kind of following in your footsteps. And I would think as a father, that's gotta be something that you're pretty darn proud of too. It is. And you know, and Tucker, uh, Tucker doesn't even know what it's like to ride a, a half-ass bike. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess I should probably take that back. I, I, I did take the time. We bought a, uh, a YZR, just a stock bike, just put Hoos- or some Hoosiers on it, and I got a test track here at the shop, and we just started riding it just that way. Didn't didn't, didn't even put a sway bar on it, so I wanted him to understand. Okay, then we put a sway bar, and we you know we did, we and then we we just kept making progressions. You know, linkage. We did some shock stuff, and then we did some you know this and that. Put a arms on it, anti dive on it. You know, and just building that stuff and trying to show him what what it takes to get to the level that the stuff of what he normally rides and uh you know i think that was a big eye opener for tucker i mean just to be able to see that side of it because otherwise everything i've ever built for him it's like it was always the cat's meow usually it was because, trick yeah for yeah, sure I, 
I mean, his, his 250 hybrid was badass. I mean, his 300DX was bad. I mean, it's like he's had some really, really trick buggies. And uh, you know what? And, and the kid puts it down. You know, he, he's, he worked his butt off and rode hard and won some championships along the way and stuff. And, and I, and, and, you know, I got to share some podiums with him, you know, on, on pro level stuff here and mm-hmm. pro stuff. And it's really, that's some, some pretty cool dreams to come through. I mean, how many, how many guys in their fifties can say they shared a podium with their son that was in their twenties is, yeah. I mean, I didn't have Tucker until I was 34 years old because I was gone racing all the time. And yeah, it's one of those things I did. I didn't get married very young, obviously. And, uh, so there's a pretty big age gap there, but to this day, him and I are pretty competitive with each other. I mean, because we both use pros and stuff. So we'll like, what you run for lap times up there today? It's like, yeah. I don't even want to, you know, he'll get pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> and, uh, but it's, it's fun. And so, you know, it's, I, it's memories that I can cherish forever. I mean, cause it really, that's like, hey, you know, all we get, all we get to keep anyways is memories, right? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um, what a special thing. Happy to, happy to kind of cap it on that. You mentioned sway bar there though, in my mind, uh, clicked back to a recent message that we got on the digging deep page and somebody asked me, and I can't remember who it was at the time, but I'll, I'll be sure to include it when we put this episode out. They asked about the the era that I think would have been maybe like 2010, 11-ish, I think, when people, nine maybe, when people started trying to run the sway bars on motocross tracks. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was pretty limited. You know, I think, you know, we made some, we made some carbon fiber ones. We made some fiberglass ones stuff. I mean, because it had to be, you know, I think. I didn't really believe in it, but I did some stuff for people that asked to ask for it. I just yeah. didn't think I had the wrong way to go. I mean, I, I obviously we learned that it wasn't the right way to go because it was a shock. But I mean, got to a point where these bikes got you know, everybody's so wound up about getting all this wheel travel, but we had a everybody forgot you had to turn the damn thing. So, right. um, at the end of the day, I think it you know that 10 to 11 inches of wheel travel is about all we can run because otherwise we can't turn them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's I mean, it just like I think it took a while for everybody to figure that out and settle in. It's like, okay, that's this is where we're at, you know, because right. go back to the pro tracks days, like, oh, we can run 12 inches of wheel travel. Yeah, but you can't turn the damn thing, you know. <laughs> right. That's the problem. And uh, so it's, it's, that's just one of those things that just, you know, never materialized. I mean, we've messed around with a lot of different stuff. And uh, that, you know, I, we, to be honest, I'm at the shop right now and we're, I just, I was running torsion bars in the lathe until I, did this call so wow wow well uh we appreciate you taking a break from that to chat with us for a little bit i was kind of dumbfounded that anybody was curious about the sway bar era in atv motocross but it was something that was a thing for a little while i think i remember bird having one on and i remember denoble doing that dance for a little while and and yep. some of that stuff but um in the the tracks were different back then too we had a lot more hard packed blue groove even the the ATV motocross stuff, even at that time than we do nowadays. But, uh, but yeah, Daryl, I, I got to stop because I'll just, uh, I'll just keep talking. I love chatting about this stuff so much, but um, again, I can't thank you enough for your time and all the great conversation, the memories shared, wishing you all the best. I hope that you're willing to do this again and sit down with me for uh, some more conversations. Cause I'm sure as you remember the conversation we had tonight, maybe listen to this when this goes live, I'm sure you're going to think of all the stuff that we could have touched on that we haven't yet so um i can't thank you enough for your time and i really hope that you're willing to do this again with me pal 
I, I would love to. Just let me know. Awesome, Daryl. Well, I can't thank you enough again, and we'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you. You're the man. That's Wrath Racing's Daryl Wrath signing off on the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast brought to you by the Haymaro Financial Group. Have a good night, Daryl. Thanks so much. Man, that was so awesome. Already looking forward to part two here in the future. Thanks to tonight's featured guest, Daryl Rath from Rath Racing. And shout out to my buddy, Tony Green, for the sway bar question that we ended the episode with. Great dude. Thanks to producer Dallas Jansen, my brother, for all his hard work. Thanks to Brooke and AMA official Harv Whipple. Thanks to all of our donors. You know who you are. We appreciate you so much. Thanks to all of our partners. CST Tires. Go to shop.csttires.com today. Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew. Thanks to SSI decals, Valvoline, DID Racing Chain, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV Components, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply, the financial advice of the Haymauer Financial Group, DP Brakes, Factory 43, Binky's Forever ATC Museum, Impact Solutions, Ultimate Poly Products, UPP Racing. Use code DIGGINGDEEP15 at UPPRacing.com and Manscaped to get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at Manscaped.com. Support the brands that support our show and don't forget to use those codes to save. Find it all on our website and be sure to click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner for all your gear and parts needs and to help us out. And most of all, thanks to you guys for listening. Shop.diggingdeepatbmx.com is where you'll find all of our Digging Deep merchandise. And be on the lookout. We have some new items dropping in the very near future, like meaning the next few days here. So be on the lookout for that at shop.diggingdeepatvmx.com. And attention all ATV fantasy players. A new season of Digging Deep ATV Fantasy is on the horizon at this point, And we are very close to rolling out uh, signups and things for this 2024 season, I would say within the next week or two. So by the next episode, for sure, we're probably already going to be live. My goal is to have it live by February 1st. So signups uh, will begin soon for ATV Fantasy 2024. So stay on the lookout for that at ATVFantasy.com. And if you're looking for another easy way to help support us, you can visit our website and click the Patreon or Buy Me Coffee buttons. This allows you to set up a one-time or monthly contribution to support our efforts. Follow the show on social media, Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast, and myself, Cody Jansen, for additional content coverage and more fun stuff as this 2024 ATV motocross season creeps up on us. It's just around the corner. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Wherever you find podcasts, you'll find the Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast. All episodes, additional podcast providers, sponsor links and discount codes, show merchandise, fantasy info and more can all be found at our website diggingdeepatvmx.com be a friend tell a friend please download subscribe rate review and share and with that for daryl rath brooke jansen dallas jansen and i'm your host cody jansen thanks for listening to and making us the most listened to podcast in atv racing with nearly 246,000 monthly digging deep listeners in 106 total countries until next time thanks for joining us in digging deep with the stars of atv motocross Things are crashing and burning here at the Digging Deep Podcast, much like the Titanic. Those guys were hauling ass, for real. I remember watching Doug Gus, I don't know who it was, Steel City, running the same times Friday afternoon as James Stewart was on Sunday back then. It was mental. I've never seen quads go that fast. Quad leaders are freaking gnarly.